0: Today we will have two texts um, in our sermon. The first is found in Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to open to Ephesians 5. Verses 15 and 16. Ephesians 5:15 and 16. Be very careful then how you live not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Those of you who may be familiar with the King James, verse 16 says, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. And then our second text is found in Hebrews chapter 13. The last chapter of the book of Hebrews. Verse number 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We have, these past few weeks, been seeking to develop a theology of memory. Two things I want to review from last week's sermon. The first is, what does it mean to remember? As we saw last week... uh, on the surface i think most people think that human memory is pretty straightforward you see something or you you experience something you capture it you record it you process it and then when the time comes you bring it out again and that's what how memory works you know when our when we experience something our brain records it and we can play it back over and over again uh, whenever we want to some are short term memories, some are long term but yeah, memory works that way, or so we imagine. The reality is, memory doesn't work that way. It doesn't function the way that computers do, though sometimes I think we wish it did, or we imagine that it does. With devices, with technology, whatever you put in is what you get out. But human memory is quite different. It is as subjective as it is objective. Objective. Our memories are saturated with feelings and emotions. And when we remember something, we don't do so in a non- or unemotional way. Not only the emotions that we experience at that given thing that we're trying to remember, but as we in this moment try to remember we have certain emotions as well. The emotions oftentimes that we attach to a particular memory are not from that time but are in fact from what we are experiencing right now. And when you, you know, add to the fact that we are fallen creatures and that we are broken, um, there's a real sense, I think, in which memory is quite different than what we imagine. And I think that we do, not, we do not really know who we are. We imagine that we do, but oftentimes who we are at any moment, that's who we think that we are. The second thing I wanted to talk about by review is that God's memory is quite different than ours. God's memory is not neurologically based as ours is. But the reality is God remembers us exactly as we are, not as we think we are or have been. We read Psalm 139 last week and it opens with, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. God's memory, God's knowledge of us is quite different than our own. In part because God has no past, present, or future. For us, memories require that dynamic that I'm here in this moment now and I am remembering something that happened in the past. But God has no past in ways that we cannot comprehend. God is outside of time. There is no past to recall. There's no future to look forward to. So when we read in the scriptures of God remembering, it is as though God is in a moment and he's looking back. But rather it speaks of his sustaining his people and his acting toward his people. To be remembered by God is to be sustained. And to be remembered by God is to be the recipient of divine action. And I mentioned last week, we have time after time, we read in the Old Testament, and God remembered in a person, and then we see that God does something for that person Simply put, when God remembers, God acts. And to be remembered by God is to be sustained by him. Now, this is something that I can't get my mind around. But when God forgets something, it literally no longer exists. To us, that seems very strange because to forget something seems to be a weakness. When we don't remember something, we get somewhat frustrated because we don't remember something. But God, in fact, When he does not remember something, it no longer exists. Which explains why when God forgives our sins, he forgets our sins and they no longer exist. To be remembered by God, to be in the memories of God, is a form of action in which God takes care of us. So when we lose our memories through disease or some other cause, God is still with us and for us. And he is acting with us and for us as he moves us toward the future. To be remembered by God is to endure in the present and into eternity. It's a wonderful thing. Now, to be in the memory of God points to something else. And that is... Oftentimes, when we think of our memories, we think of them as purely internal. But if, in fact, my memories are held by God, they are in the memories of God, then that means my memories are outside of me as well. They're not only internal, but external as well. And as I mentioned last week, if you want to remember something and you write yourself a note, in a sense, you're taking a memory and keeping it outside of yourself, which is fine. Um, When we get together with family or friends and we remember past events, they may remind us of things we have forgotten or they may correct our faulty memory. We may remember it one particular way and it's happened somewhere else. So memory is not simply something we carry around with us. And I think that's really important because God has our memories, but other people do as well, as we'll see later on. Some of our memories are held by others, but all of them are held by God. Now, based on what we've been seeing the past few weeks, I want to consider today uh, the issues of time, memory, and presence. Let's talk about time, because time is critical when it comes to memory, because here I am at this moment in time, and I'm remembering another moment in time in the past. Living when and where we do, the culture that surrounds us, There is a tendency to treat time as a commodity, something that can be bought and sold. So consider that people say that they speak of spending time, buying time, wasting time, using time, keeping time, losing time. Bob Dylan, in his song, When You're Going to Wake Up, He says, you can't take it with you and you know that it's too worthless to be sold. They tell you time is money, as if your life was worth its weight in gold. As a result, most humans, or many humans, at least in our culture, live their lives as though they are at war with time. That time is the enemy, seen in adversarial terms. In the last part of his poem, If, by Rudyard Kipling, if you can fill the unforgiving minute, powerful phrase, the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and what, which is more, you'll be a man, my son. So for many people, and I would say for many of us, time is seen as the enemy, something that somehow we need to overcome. Time is seen as a dictator. That it seeks to rule us and to dictate how we live our lives and how we spend time in our relationships. As God's people, to love one another, we need to be present for one another no matter how much time it takes. We need to consider one profound way in, God, in which God remembers us is that he is present with us. And this is why the incarnation, Jesus, he's to be called Emmanuel. That is God with us. Not in the future, not in the past, but at this present moment, God is with us. But again, living when in where we do, the marketplace, the need for being efficient, being productive in the marketplace, time is seen as a commodity to be barter, bartered. We live with time as though it's constantly running out. And living this way means that we have forgotten something quite important. First of all, God stands outside of time. He is not bound by time. He is ever-present. He is eternal. He is unchangeable. There's something else we forget, and that is that time came into existence when the world was created. Time is something that was created by God. That's why we have the six days of creation, then the seventh day when God rests. That's spelled out because prior to that, there was no time. God is eternal. So God created this world, creation, and part of the aspect is time. Now, if this is true, one of the implications is that time, like everything else in the creation, is fallen and needs to be redeemed. And that's why the, the King James Uh, Version of Ephesians uh, 5.16, redeeming the time, uh, fits into this. That time, in fact, is in need of redemption. By the way, if time has fallen and is in need of redemption, then we shouldn't be surprised that it has been transformed by fallen humanity into a commodity. Something designed to enhance human wealth. Rather than seeing time as something given to us as a gift, to give glory to God, to be with God's creatures, it's something that tells us we can get wealthier if we spend our time wisely. Time has fallen. Time is in need of redemption. But we tend to be ruled by the clock. We tend to view activities in terms of time, as in, you're on the clock now. We're on the clock now. So this is when things really begin, and now we're going to measure our activities by what is happening in that time. Some have pointed out that there are two, at least two Greek words for time, uh, kairos and chronos. Chronos is the more familiar word to us, chronology, anachronism, it comes from this. Um, It refers to time that can be measured. So this is clock time, chronometer, a, a watch, a clock. Um, The other word is kairos, and it points to an event, or the right moment, an opportune moment. Kronos is quantitative, how many seconds, how many minutes, how many hours. Kairos, on the other hand, is qualitative. It speaks of the quality of time that is spent in a given moment, in a given event. Kairos measures moments, not seconds. And though this is not a direct correlation, I think in contrast to clock time, which governs our society, Kronos, we should consider lived time, the time in which we live, Kairos. Not exactly Kairos, but lived time is in fact providential time. It is the time in which God acts in our lives, in which God is redeeming time. See, Jesus came not only to redeem us, but all of creation, and one of those aspects is time as well. So how does this play in with memory? I would suggest that our view of memory is more tied to chronos, to clock time, than it is to live time. We remember events often by when they happen, and I'm a historian, dates are important, you know, when we... Here We talk about birthdays and anniversaries. Um, We tend to think more in terms of clock time rather than live time. Memory is usually seen in terms of the past and not the present moment. So when we encounter someone who is losing or has lost his or her memory, we tend to focus on the loss. Oh, they've lost the past, rather than experiencing the present moment, that here we are now in this moment. The story is told from a professor at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena um, who would have his students come over to his house. He would invite them, I guess, once a semester, and come over to have uh, blueberry pancakes, to have a breakfast. Um, He would tell them, my wife is there. She has severe multiple sclerosis. She is significantly disabled, unable to move or to speak. He tells his students that she probably won't recognize them or remember them. But he urges his students to talk to her anyway. He tells them, she probably won't remember you afterwards. But in that moment, she will appreciate you in that moment. For those who live by clock time, this might seem like a passing second, a a minute, if that. For those who live by the clock, it might even seem to be a waste of time. It's very inefficient. Why should I spend any time with someone who will not remember what I have said, what I have done, will not remember me? And again, the problem is our view of time. Our identity, oftentimes, is based on stories from the past. That this is how I was raised, this is where I grew up, these are the things that I experienced. But also forward-looking stories, these are the things I hope to do in my lifetime, these are the places I hope to visit, Uh, these are the people I plan to see. And it is through these stories from the past and the future... They come together and sort of create this, this web, if you wish. And this is who we are. This is who we imagine that we are. This is my identity. But what if you lose the stories? What if you lose the stories from the past? Then the stories from the future, if you even have those, have nothing to connect to. I would suggest that we have focused on the wrong things that we should remember the importance of the present moment, the present moment. And we should remember that we are embodied creatures. We experience the world in and through our bodies. God did not take the dust of the earth and make a brain. He took the dust and created a human being, of which the brain is but one component. It has a purpose, the same purpose as the rest of the body, by the way, which is to glorify God, to enjoy him forever. So we saw several weeks ago, human beings are not balloons, the body in which God has breathed air and they expand, and then as we begin to lose air, we begin to lose some of what God has given us. We, in fact, are animated earth. We come from the ground and God breathed and made that earth alive. Every molecule of it. Which means that our bodies are holy ground. And when I say our bodies, I mean our whole bodies. It is worth noting that the body remembers. People talk about muscle memory all the time. The body remembers processes takes to itself the experiences of the person in the world. There are gestures, there are habits. There may be things that you do now, physically, that you're not quite sure why you do it, but that's, in a sense, as long as you can remember, that's simply the way you've always done it before. And even if a person loses certain brain functions, they cannot remember, perhaps, events or people, the body still remembers In a book by Oliver Sacks, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, he tells the story of Jimmy, a man whose memory had been destroyed by a specific form of dementia, uh, Korsakov's Syndrome, which was the product of long-time alcohol abuse. And it led to inevitable, irreversible uh, degeneration of his brain. He had profound memory loss. Jimmy could remember things before 1945, Nothing since then. And Sacks writes about one time being in a room with him and having this extended conversation with Jimmy. And Sacks had to leave the room briefly and came back within a few seconds. And Jimmy was surprised to see him. He had no memory whatsoever of the conversation they had just had. Sacks came to describe Jimmy as de-sold. D-E hyphen sold. That is that he the disease had stripped him of something that made him human. That in Sacks' view, the person, the soul that was Jimmy, was gone. But the nurses disagreed with him, with Sachs, the doctor. They said to him, watch Jimmy, and judge in, uh, watch Jimmy in chapel and judge for yourself. And this is what Sachs writes. I did and I was moved. Profoundly moved and impressed, because I saw here an intensity and steadfastness of attention and concentration that I had never seen before in him or conceived him capable of. Fully, intensely, quietly, in the quietude of absolute concentration and attention, he entered and partook of the Holy Communion. He was wholly held, absorbed by a feeling. There was no forgetting, no Korsakovs then, nor did it seem possible or imaginable that there should be. Memory, mental activity, mind alone could not hold him, but moral attention and action could hold him completely. One could argue that his memory was gone, but somehow his body still remembered. Let's go back to the matter of time. One could argue that because we are human beings, we tend to be time travelers. Something that has intrigued uh, writers over the centuries. But think about it. We remember the past. We travel to the past. We imagine the future. Daydream our way into the future. We reflect on the past. We look toward the future. Rarely do we take the time to slow down and to consider the meaning and the significance of this present moment. We fail to realize that God is in this present moment. To remember what we read in our text in Hebrews 13 Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Which, by the way, the writer of the book of Hebrews is quoting from the Old Testament. From Deuteronomy 31, and then it is repeated in Joshua chapter 1. You may remember that our text says, Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That is, rather than focusing on chronos, on time as a commodity, so that we can get money, we are to remember in this given moment, God will never leave us or forsake us. In the story of Jimmy, Sachs writes, his spiritual encounter allowed him to enter into a familiar narrative that provided him with an anchor and a sense of self that was otherwise missing from his life. The fact that he would have forgotten it soon afterwards is beside the point. A moment, five minutes after the Mass, after communion, Jimmy would have forgotten. But in that moment, There was presence, and he experienced, I believe, the presence of God. Rather than seeing time as an enemy, an implacable enemy, we should become friends of time. We should recognize that time provides us a place, a space, in which we can learn to love and care for each other. We can't do this on our own. Time needs to be sanctified, it needs to be redeemed, it needs to be brought into the service of God. And we do this by slowing down, by reclaiming time for its proper uses. Patience is the key here. In a recent book entitled, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, The Improbable Rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire, the author, named Alan Kreider, noted that the early church grew impressively in the first three centuries of the church. People can't figure out why. He writes, the growth was odd. According to the evidence at our disposal, the expansion of the churches was not organized. Not the product of a mission program. It simply happened. The early Christians noted this with wonder. They were surprised the church was growing exponentially. They attributed it to the patient work of God. And one of the things that Kreter points out in his book is that in the first three centuries of the church, they did not write about evangelism. They didn't write about missions programs, about church growth programs. The issue they kept writing about, the most significant issue that comes up time and time again, is patience. And I would say patience is another way of speaking of being present in the moment. Rather than being impatient and wanting to get ahead to the future to have something that we don't have at this moment, the church was marked and was encouraged to be patient. And depending on who you read, uh, origin out of Egypt Said that Christ is our example when it comes to patience. Others would say God the Father is our example of patience as He is patient with His people. Both cases, in the incarnation and in God the Father, we see presence in the moment. Now, tied to this, we need to look at the memory, or our memory, and the church. In our culture, I mentioned this last week, we tend to assign good or bad memory to individuals, saying he or she has a good memory, a memory like an elephant. We don't usually do this for communities. We do recognize that certain communities have traditions, but we don't generally say, oh, that, that community, they really have a good memory. We tend to make it very much an individual thing. And unfortunately, this has come into the church. Uh both individual congregations, but the church at large. Um, We need as God's people to think of memory in terms of the congregation. David Wells in one of his books says that the modern age and particularly mass media is marked by the fact that this is experience without community. So we have people on TV just sort of shooting news at us there's no sense of context, of, of, of communal memory. It's just the individual who's supposed to be taking in this information. And I think in many ways, this is the way that many Christians think today. Remembering and forgetting is something that we should practice, not just individually, but communally. We are required, we are called as God's people to remember together. We've had communion. We've done this in remembrance of what Jesus has done and is doing for us. We are to remind each other of what God has done for us. We are to teach one another, correct one another. One of the things, just a side note, that has been brought to my attention is that oftentimes people will ask for a prayer for a specific thing. And then in the course of events, that which was prayed for comes to pass. But then that's never mentioned to the congregation again. It should be so that the church has a memory. We prayed for this, and then God heard our prayers and answered and brought this about. Some in the church are more gifted than others. God has given them, I think, as gifts to the church. But they're not to be the only ones who remember There aren't to be these walking encyclopedias and the rest of us are like, well, I don't need to remember that. uh, That I've assigned somebody to remember that for me. And I've I've noticed this as I've gotten older, that oftentimes I just let other people, if I know that somebody else is going to remember that I have an appointment at such and such a time, I don't remember it. I don't have to because that person has. Um, I remember a comedian some years ago said that one of the things about getting married is that he's found that some of his Memories, if you wish, have been transferred to his wife so that when they go out to eat or you know, someone has them over to eat, he'll ask his wife, uh, do I like this? As though he himself has no memory of it, he's assigned that to her. Um, as a congregation, as the body of Christ, we are to share memory. And certainly some people may remember better than others, but we are in fact to work together in this regard. We are to remember what God has done for us. Peter wrote in his second epistle, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort that after my, to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. I think it is a vital part of the church that we are to remember what God has done. Because what God has done is a reflection of who God is, his character. We should also think of memory not simply as us here at the church on Melrose, but the church at large today. It may be that our experience of God is quite narrow. As I mentioned earlier, we have great freedom to worship Freedom from fear of possible attacks. Uh, we have brothers and sisters who do not have those freedoms. We should remember them and remember what they have suffered and gone through. Someone has made the analogy that American Christians are Job before his troubles, that other believers are Job after his troubles or in the midst of his troubles. And again, consider the 28 brothers and sisters that were killed this past week in Egypt. One could argue that we worship God because, as Satan told God, our lives are easy. Does Job fear God for nothing? You have blessed the work of his hands. On the other hand, we have brothers and sisters who worship and continue to worship in the face of poverty, adversity, and even persecution. Why hasn't God given them the things we have? I don't know. But we are to share that memory. As the body of Christ at large, we are to remember these things. And it shouldn't simply be right now. We should think of what God has done for the church in the past. And I think when we do this, we have a sense of belonging, of connecting with our brothers and sisters who have come before us. In a hymn we sing here at church, Holy God, we praise thy name. Lo, the apostolic train... Join thy sacred name to hallow. Prophets swell the glad refrain and the white robe martyrs follow. And from morn to set of sun through the church, the song goes on. The memory lives, the song goes on. I mentioned earlier in the series that William Dyrness in his book How Does America Hear the Gospel says that the way Americans deal with the past is a function of our approach to life. Fundamentally, we have two ways of dealing with it. We idealize it Or when it is impossible to idealize it, we forget it. Alan Bloom in his book, The Closing of the American Mind, forgetting in a variety of subtle forms is one of our primary modes of problem solving. It seems to me that many American Christians have no sense of the past in terms of the church, what God has done. And so oftentimes they are quite mistaken in their view of God and God's acts. If we think only in terms of my own personal experience, which again, remembering our memories are not what they should be, and it depends on where I am in a given moment, how I will remember things, I think we can really get messed up when it comes to remembering who God is and how he works and why he does the things that he does. As I mentioned before, one could argue that Americans have a wide faith But it is not a deep faith. It does not have roots. It does not look back to the past. It has no memory or connection to the past. You might be thinking at this point, wait a minute, I thought the emphasis in the first part of the sermon was on the present moment and experiencing the present moment. What happened? All of a sudden we're talking about the past again. I would suggest to you that the strength of being present at any given moment Rest consciously or unconsciously on the past. We may not remember exactly, oh, God did this when I was 13 years old, when I was 20 years old, or last week or last month. We may not remember that. But because God has acted in our lives, we are at a given moment able to be present in that moment as Job's friends were with with him the first seven days in what's been called a sacrament of silence. They didn't say anything. They simply sat there with him. They were with him in the present moment. And as God's people, we can sit with someone who is in need. We can sit with someone who is losing his or her memory. Or with someone who seems empty, to use Sax's word or phrase, desold. And we can do so with grace and with strength because, again, consciously or unconsciously, there is a sense of what God has done in the past. That God has been faithful, He has taken care of us in the past. And from time to time, certain events may come up. Oh, yes, I remember when this happened. But we're not computers, that doesn't happen all the time. We can't retrieve memories at, at will, oftentimes. But as God has worked through us, in a given moment, we can have grace and strength because of what God has done in the past. Here in this congregation, we have been graced by God with someone in our congregation who is suffering from the loss of memory. I say graced because it is a gift from God. It is an opportunity for each one of us to be present in the moment, to share, to talk, to embrace. And as the professor said, she probably won't remember afterwards, but in that moment, she will appreciate you. And in that moment, we will express what we've seen in the series that we are embodied creatures, we are dependent creatures. We are relational by nature. We are broken. But we are also loved. And by the grace of God in our lives, we can share that with those whose memories are fading or have left completely. And know that five minutes from now, certainly tomorrow, that person will not remember. Doesn't matter. At that given moment, in the present moment, we can show the love of God and express the love of Christ with that person and share it. And whether or not it is appreciated, I think it is, but whether or not it is, I think is beside the point. We can be who we are called to be. We can redeem the time, make the most of the opportunity by sharing the love of Christ with that person. Let's pray together. Our Father, we live in a time which seems to be going by so fast. We have devices to help us keep track of time. I think we lose track of ourselves. And either we look to the past or the future, but we seem to ignore, to gloss over the present moment. You are redeeming all things. you are redeeming time. We are to redeem time as well, to make the most of every opportunity. And in a given moment, we are to show the love of Christ. We are to show that we are truly human yes we are broken but we are loved and we can love we are embodied but we are also dependent upon you and your grace may we as your people in this place redeem time may we be present in the moment with those around us may we make a conscious effort to do so. I thank you for the wonderful promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And certainly when we look to the past, we can have a real sense that you have been with us every step of the way, even in those dark moments when we felt abandoned. And you are with us right now. And you will be to the end of our time here. By your spirit, help us to think on these things. And not be hearers of the word only, but doers as well. We pray for Dan and Lonnie as they come back, that you would make it possible for them to get the flight that they need. For Tim and Kim as well, as they come back. For the G's, as they struggle with illness. May we remember to pray for each other in the coming week and to know that you are with each one of us at every given moment. As we leave this place today, may your spirit and your grace go with us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.